Tom Gerhardt and Dan Provost are the guys behind Studio Neat. On this show, we discuss entrepreneurship, product design, and all of the ups and downs that come with running a small business. I'm Mike Hurley, and this is Thoroughly Considered. So what do you guys think of the new Taylor Swift album? Do you know I haven't heard it yet, but I really want to hear it. I was quite surprised to see that Pitchfork gave it an 8. I've listened to it uh, casually, and it seems, you know, it seems pretty good. Like, I like it. I mean, it's definitely different, you know, but... Dan, what do you think? You're the you're the one who's all up in uh, the Nationals' grill. All up in the Nationals' business. Well, I'll, I'm all up in Taylor Swift's grill. So we're kinda... yeah, uh, I mean it's my favorite Taylor Swift album by far. That's perhaps unsurprising. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's really nice. I think it's good. Uh, I've heard really really good uh, reviews of the song with Bon Iver. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's next on my list. I've been listening to Haim's uh, recent album a lot recently, which mm. I enjoy. They're mm. one of my favorite bands, and their new album is very, very, very good. It's very different, but not different in the this is a new band kind of different. You know, like different in mm-hmm. the oh, like oh, you've evolved as a band kind of different. You know what I mean? Is your favorite album their first album though? Yes. Yeah, of course. That album's like I always think of them as like Fleetwood Mac for some reason. They have a good Fleetwood Mac. That's like Fleetwood Mac is actually a comparison I wouldn't have necessarily drawn, but I actually quite like. Especially like Rumors. Like if you listen to like Fleetwood, I don't mm-hmm. know why, but it's like Fleetwood Mac Rumors and that first high-end album is like, uh, I don't know, for some reason they feel similar. That is good. So welcome to uh, <laughs> your favorite music <laughs> this podcast. This music group review show. <laughs> Oh, a bunch of hipsters. we should talk about Kanye for two hours. It'll be great. Mm. I guess we could, right? That's always something to talk about with Kanye. <laughs> nah, we don't need any hot takes. To, no. Kanye hot takes. I will say about Kanye real quick. This is like not what necessarily what you think I was going to say. Uh, if you haven't ever seen it, um, the Netflix show, uh, the David Lightman interview show, mm, uh, mm-hmm, My Next Guest, mm-hmm. the, the Kanye episode is, is very interesting and kind of enlightening to him as an individual uh it it kind of taught me some stuff that i didn't necessarily think and kind of really um helped me understand and empathize a little with him yeah you know what has done did that for me was the um is it is is it it's not song exploder what's the thing dissect Uh, yeah, dissect where they did the the um, dark twisted fantasy Kanye album, and that a it really made me appreciate him as like an artist, but it also I don't know it did the same thing for me where it helped me like empathize with him. He is still a very problematic figure, but it's like it made him more human uh, to me. So I would yeah. ever recommend everyone listen to that. It's like really awesome in general. And that bring, that brings us back to the Taylor Swift connection. That's what, start, oh, that's what wow, started it all. Yeah. <laughs> it really did, though, right? Like, I know. <laughs> wow. Yeah, oh, look man. at that. It all comes back around. So you guys, the Kickstarter campaign is over. Congratulations. I mean, Thanks. 
you know, I, you know, I was gonna, I was just about to say like it's a foregone conclusion that Kickstarter campaigns are a success for you. Forgetting the genesis of this podcast, which I think we will do every <laughs> single time. Uh, every time we talk about this, I feel like we have this exact same conversation where I'm like, oh well, obviously, I'll accept for that one. Uh, <laughs> pouring one out for well, our friend Obi. Yeah. <laughs> so, but the pen uh, mark two, uh, one thousand five hundred and twenty-five backers, um, and what did one hundred and sixty thousand uh, dollars? Just kind of reflecting on those numbers, are they kind of where you expected? Like, did you have a kind of a, a goal in mind? Obviously, you you had a campaign goal, but like, did you have a, a goal in mind for what you thought this pen would do, what you wanted it to do, and did it did it get there? Well, I think in the in like in the context and circumstances, we were had really no idea what would happen. You know right. what I mean? It'd be just because of the crazy world we're in right now. So mm-hmm. I, I didn't really have any expectations because I knew it was such a strange time. Yeah. Um, and I think Dan feels the same way. I think I think if 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 we were back at like a normal uh like world and it was like normal world like if we had launched this like a year ago i feel like i would have expected it to be a little bit bigger just because i think it it's a cool it's like a cool product and it feels like yeah. uh it like fits in maybe some people's like lives more than like say the mark 1 does yeah um and so i think if you know, if, if things were kind of normal times, I would have maybe expected it to be a little bit bigger. But, you know, I mean, it, it, we're super happy that we, like, get to make this thing. <laughs> like, we yeah. had no idea what was going to happen. So we're super happy that, like, it is what it is and we'll be able to make it. And, I mean, it's great. So I mean, it was it was um, very successful. Like, you know, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, I, mean, and, I mean, I would consider, I mean, it was our big, we had like our biggest first day ever. I mean, I think <laughs> in the circumstances, I think it did like very well. So, oh, inter- um, that's interesting because I guess what that means is this was a popular, popular product with your existing kind of audience, yeah, but mm-hmm. maybe didn't stretch out as far um, yeah. as it could have with, you know, for good reason. Yeah, I think people don't or don't want to make take as big of a chance. You know what I mean? Like if people have following us and they maybe have some of our stuff, it may not feel as much of like a chance or something on mm-hmm. Kickstarter. And it, you know, but if if you're just someone and this is just a random thing you're coming across, it's like you know, are you gonna be doing a Kickstarter right now? You know, I mean, it's it's difficult. I mean, who knows? But I would not be surprised if some of those dynamics are kind of at play, which makes total sense. I mean, we're super happy to have the support we have so it's like we you know we have no no complaints at all dan what do you what is your read on all of this yeah i mean i echo all of that um i do think it's interesting like just looking at the funding graph as tom said like it was we it was slightly more than the mark one which was our previous record for kind of first day of funding and then it leveled out very quickly like much quicker than previous campaigns Mm -hmm. And I think it's just kind of interesting to think about. I mean, it's, I think it's kind of obvious why that happened is like we pitch this to our existing audience, which is kind of primarily our, you know, mailing list and, uh, and then, you know, like Twitter and stuff. Uh, and then those people like had a chance to decide yes or no, I want to support this. And then there's basically just like no advertising <laughs> or anything after that. And so I always wonder, like what 
if we should be happy with that, if, if it's like, okay, this is our like core audience. We're going to like speak with them and then just kind of whatever happens happens. Mm. Or if we should be kind of much more proactive in trying to get additional press or right. like out more advertising, Facebook ads, things like that. Uh, and I don't know what the right answer is. I think if we had like a kind of a traditional business, it would be like, what are you doing? Of course you're supposed to be like doing Facebook ads and kind of all this kind of outreach. Uh, but that's not quite how we operate. And it seems to be working fine this way. So, well, I, don't know. I, don't, I, I do not think I don't buy that at all. Like to me, all of these things that are like, you know, pay for eyeballs kind of advertising are I mean they totally work if you're willing to spend a ton of money and but and what you're buying is um maybe not the most organic like customer and you're I mean I'm sure that a lot of campaigns that get really large and they have paid money to get really large like to kind of growth hack their way I'm I would I'm not surprised if most of the time they lose money on their Kickstarter campaign or they're like barely breaking even if that. And so we, like Dan, like you said, like we, that's not really the kind of business we're running. We're not like going for like a high growth business, but I would argue that it's like often not the sustainable thing to do, period. I mean, like think about all these, like think about um, what's the big one, like the watch company Pebble. that was like huge. Yeah, huge. And then Pebble and it's like gone now, right? I mean, I think it's a very, um, I just like not interested at all at that kind of like white hot growth thing where you have to be on this like treadmill of growth and for it for things to even begin to start making money and working yeah. out. And so I am I have been less and less the more we try like we tried a couple things this time around to like, you know, pay for eyeballs and pay for clips. And I and I'm just like less and less as time goes on and as this kind of Kickstarter marketplace gets more. Uh, mature that that stuff really works super well for our kind of like lifestyle slow growth business it just feels like you're just burning burning money and not necessarily getting like customers backers followers that are like uh like organic and you know really want to be kind of following along with you i don't know it just right but it is chicken and egg though for for a lot of people right like Mm -hmm. you you gotta find your audience right like like uh joe blogs cannot just create a kickstarter campaign and hope the world will find it right like Mm -hmm. you've got to start from a position and for you guys it started um one in a very different world like this is like similar to me like when i talk to people Mm -hmm. about like oh how do you how do you like become a a podcasting professional it's like well one you've got to my advice you've got to go back to 2010 right because that's my that's my advice is Mm -hmm. right like (laughs) what i did is only applicable to then really like i can Mm -hmm. tell you uh how to make something that i think is interesting and all that kind of stuff but quote unquote finding an audience that's only relevant for the time that that person found their audience so like in 2009 you could have a kickstarter campaign that became popular just because it was on Kickstarter. 
mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like oh, inherently yeah, totally. it and that's being what there was could get people to find it, and then but then also you had a good um, market fit, like you knew the person you were making your product for, and they were a niche audience, and you know you went through them that way. And there are ways that people can do that today, but the market's so much wider. Um, oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I I completely agree. Um, but I think there's a big difference between trying to like organically find traction in a in like a, a like mm-hmm. a group of people or a community mm-hmm. versus the alternative, which is basically like you know Facebook advertising that is you're like blasting a megaphone, like you're paying yes. lots and lots of money. To and you're competing with large corporations for these clicks that don't really convert very well, and you're not really targeting as as well as you think. Like there's not really a way to like get so like targeted in the way people think you can. And so I would not ever advise someone who's starting out to yeah okay get your product and then just like pay a bunch of money for clicks. I, I would take the tack rather of like. And we do, and we do this like our mentorship program. Like the way we, what we advise people to do is to find a community and organically try to get tracks with the, that community by yes. like talking to them as a human and yes. like finding the influencers in that community. And yes, it might be a slow start and you might be small at first, but you got to start somewhere. And growing organically like that, we think, is like far more valuable in the long run than just like you know paying twenty thousand dollars for like a you know, a Facebook ad campaign mm-hmm. that might get mm-hmm. you just random people. And, you know, who has that money, first of all, to spend on that? But that's what it takes. I mean, like, it's really, really expensive to actually get people to convert, like, in, in, in high numbers. And so, I don't know. I think it's a little bit of a... I don't think there's actually an easy way to do it. Like, it, it might seem easy, and that's the way it's sold, but I don't buy it. Like, I don't actually think that that's true. Yeah. And the other way, the organic way, I feel like is much harder now than it was 10 years ago when we were starting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Whereas I feel like just the whole, I mean, maybe I'm thinking too much specifically about kind of like the Apple community, but the whole like, someone's going to post a link to your project and it's going to blow up. That probably exists a little bit to a degree now, but it seems harder to get that to happen. And yeah, not the same. Well, um, And this is because, I mean, like we're getting very, we're, we're talking very much within a, a niche of in a niche at the moment, mm-hmm, but like right. it is a, an important point of like, so blogging is not the same anymore. Right. Yeah. So, you know, like somebody posting a link to your website now drives a small fraction of the traffic that it used to. Mm-hmm. And there are lots of answers for this, like as to why this has happened. And it's just because media has changed. You know, social media is bigger than it was. And a lot of people just post their stuff on social media. Podcasting is another thing, too where like mm-hmm. the, the advertising that used to go into like that kind of media has moved to adver- has moved in a lot of part to podcasting which has therefore reduced the amount of eyeballs on blogging because it's not as lucrative a medium anymore there's like a lot of stuff to it audiences have changed the monetization has changed but what that has resulted in is like if company A is linked to by website B that has a large audience the it just doesn't convert like it used to. It's a very peculiar thing to to see, to have seen. 
but it's it is kind of like part of the way that things are now right mm-hmm. yeah no i mean it's 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 crazy uh and there's so much but you know what you know, do you different. know what you know sorry tom but like you i bet you know where that has moved all of that stuff it's moved to influencers right like the the, you know like like john gruber was an influencer before influencers existed right because (laughs) he was an individual is an individual of a large audience and daring fireball was his quote instagram page right like Mm -hmm. you would post a link and you would all go see but now that that kind of uh, model has moved to places like Instagram now where like if you could get your products with the right influencers on Instagram it will drive traffic like probably like yeah. for you you get Brad to post the Mark 1 and it will mm-hmm. drive traffic right mm-hmm. because that's oh, where the eyeballs are you know and, and yeah and, I mean I think it's always been the same story I mean yeah like yeah the medium has changed but it's the yeah. same kind of thing where mm-hmm. you know and the, the, here's the here's the thing that I think is like the bright side right there's two things that are different that are better than uh, like like a decade ago when we started all this stuff uh, one is people know what Kickstarter is and yes. so like it's not like a you don't have to cross that bridge first right that's like a normal thing and then the other thing is if you're like a small team or like an individual like trying to do something uh, like if you're an influencer I'm sure you they are pitched constantly by like PR firms and like large companies being like hey let's do this deal let's check out this thing blah 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 but if you are like an authentic human being and you've made something and you know that they would be into it you could probably get a lot further because you can like reach out personally to them and like authentically yeah. right or you can like involve them in the like product development like there are ways that you can stand out because you are like an individual, right? And you have like authenticity behind you and you can form like a real relationship with like that quote influencer, right? Um, If it's the right fit. And so there are advantages. Um, I mean, yes, it's like horrible because you are competing against like these VC funded startups of all kinds and it's like very noisy and expensive to get attention and really you can't get pressed very easily. But you do... uh, you do have some advantages. And so I think, you know, it is much more difficult. And like, it used to be just a straight up a news story. Like we used to get pressed just like because we were doing a Kickstarter, right? From a product like you said before. Now that is like, like a negative press thing. Like you won't get pressed (laughs) because of that. Um, But I think there are ways to connect to like these influencers that have a lot of power. And you, if you, there's ways to connect with them, like in an authentic way. And that builds like a really awesome relationship. So, you know, I think that that is, uh, that is the way forward in my mind. Um, like if we were, like if Dan and I were going to spend energy on trying to get more traction for our product, it would be sending out like prototypes and samples to influencers basically. And like, and like having them involved in the product development, like as early as possible mm-hmm. And starting to f- have them form a relationship with the product, like as we go, because then you know people have a real connection and they have like a story to tell about it, and they you know the, uh, you know, and so that's really really powerful. Um, and so I think that's those kind of things are the way to approach it now, um, and we should do more of that. I think. Rather than yeah, like- I uh, I guess it depends on how we're defining influencer. But like an Instagram influencer 
is a really specific thing that the reason they're an influencer is that's their job and uh, that's how they make money. So that, it, to me, broadly speaking, that is ju- as approachable as like buying Facebook ads. Like you need a lot of money <laughs> to do that. Like I don't know if that's actually a solution for like the bootstrapped up and comer that's trying to get noticed. I think it depends. Uh, yeah, not, you don't need to pay all influencers, right? Like yeah, you can send free product to some people and 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 they'll put because there's like. There are tiers, right? It, you're mm-hmm. kind of going yeah. through here. Some people mm-hmm. just want new stuff so they can create content with it. Um, mm-hmm. And and if you're starting out, that audience size is probably large enough that it makes a big difference for you. Like if you're yeah. starting out from zero and you can get your product in front of an influencer with fifteen thousand followers, that's yeah, going to make big. a big difference for you. Especially if it's really applicable to yeah. their audience and yeah. them. You know, I mean, that's the thing you want to do, right? Yeah, make a huge difference. Because that's what's that microfluencer? Is that the term? You have nanofluencer, <laughs> microfluencer, <laughs> and influencer. These are genuine terms, but they do make sense. You have your influencer, which is your large scale micro microfluencers who are like in the tens of thousands. And then there is this really interesting trend of nanofluencer, which is basically like really small followings, like a couple of hundred people. But mm. those people are very influential amongst that group because it's yeah. typically genuine friends and family. Um, yeah. and, and you see, like I see this a lot with like Etsy businesses and stuff, like people able to like begin to start building a following by like a by like talking to these small uh like people with small followings but they're focused you know that these are also people trying to make it happen for themselves and you can start to build a business a side business at first like from this kind of approach but it does require as you mentioned going back to the start of this incredibly long tangent uh, <laughs> that, that you need to understand like what is your product who is it for yeah, like which is which is know. you should know that before you make it, you know, <laughs> you know, that's the but that's the thing like like friends. But I don't know, like say like Peter McKinnon, right? Like very big YouTube photography guy, right? He's like five million subscribers or something. I have seen him like like mention and show products that are like being worked on or that are just like sent to him by people. I mean, it's like nice that does this too, right? It's not like it's impossible. I mean, it's hard, right? That That's a huge get, but it, it, it isn't only that like you have to be a huge corporation to like get on the radar. Of YouTubers it's a really good fit. are a good point because they need product for content. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Like yes. if you can find the right content creator to get your product to, they yeah. want it. Because they yeah. need it to make new stuff, right? Like, well, they need a story, <laughs> yeah. and if you can give them a story, that's great. I mean, it's the same thing as like back in the day when you're trying to pitch people, like like press people. It's the exact same thing. I mean, it's it's not way different. I mean, it's definitely harder, but I think there are lots of opportunities. And I mean, the very the very fact that it is even possible that we're even talking about you as an individual being able to like get the attention and the megaphone of like a Peter McKinnon is crazy. He's like, it's like such an audience, you know? So I think it's still a very exciting. Uh, there's still like lots of opportunities. If you're, if like you said, Mike, if, if the product is, is like built with a specific audience in mind and people in mind. And I mean, that's how Dan and I approach things. Like when we're making 
a product, we're thinking about ourselves and we're like thinking about other people and like making the design choices towards those people. And so I think it's kind of the, that's the way you got to do it. I mean, that's the most authentic way to do it. Uh, and uh, it's, it's definitely the path of least resistance. <laughs> but so it's probably fair to say that Mark II, uh, it, it found that audience for you primarily and then broke out of it a little bit. And, mm. you know, there are just, there are a lot of external factors that are pressing yeah. in on this campaign. Yeah. Um, where whilst it has been very successful, when you look at it on its own, it, you know, when you compare it to the Mark One, there is a, there was room that it could have grown if it would have been in a more kind of welcoming environment. <laughs> yeah right. but you know here's the, the awesome thing is we get to make the product and it will have it right we'll have it it can have it has a life yes. right so that's all you know it's all gravy so yeah um yeah so we're and we're full steam ahead on that i mean we're we're um we are f kind of finalizing all of the like the drawings for like just check double checking tolerances and like little like how much space should we give stuff Mm -hmm. Because the next step is for them to make like a production table, basically, uh, of every uh, of all the parts. And then once we get in a, ha a good place with that, then we're kind of off to the races with production. So, um, so yeah, so it's we're kind of full steam ahead, and it'll be cool. We're doing some new, some like new manufacturing processes with this one, so that will be exciting. Uh, Sounds terrifying to me. You know, it's kind of one of those things where you just like you f figure out what the problems are. You know, it's like, oh, I didn't know that this was hard. You know, like that it was actually there's problems with this or there are tolerance problems here or whatever. The two things in particular for the clip, we're doing a, a couple of things that we've never done before. Like we're heat treating steel so that it's like uh, like springy, you know, uh, and then we're spot welding on. The clip has like a little like hemisphere, you know, like on the bottom of it. And mm -hmm. that's getting like spot welded on together. Um, so those are some new, like completely new things for us that mm. will be fun. Oh, and making a custom magnet, which will be, which is cool. What that's does that entail? Well, I'm actually not entirely sure how it all goes. I know this, goes. this probably sounds really stupid, but until you just said that, I'd never really thought that like p you you make magnets they're just mined out of the ground they look like horseshoes like and they're painted red already <laughs> and you have to melt them down but like you, I, I, I believe they're stintered together so i believe what happens is they they're not machined like they it's a powder of like whatever material like the neodymium magnets are made uh -huh. of maybe it's neodymium i don't know and i believe they're stintered together which means yeah. like uh you get a powder like a metal powder and you 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 it's molded right together at some pretty high heat to where the little metal particles like kind of stick together and then you put them in more of an oven where they kind of more form a more like homogeneous metal structure and then I don't know if there's some process that then magnetizes them during a, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll find out. But I mean, it, it doesn't actually super matter to us how they're made because we know that the manufacturers said that they can make them, you know, at 
the tolerances we specified and like at the cost, you know, so it doesn't, we don't really need to know how it works, but, um, but that will be a fun thing to kind of see and mm -hmm. get. But uh, yeah, it's actually not, I, I thought that making, when we first started this and we realized we probably wanted a custom shaped magnet, I thought it was going to be like, you have to have really high minimums and it's like really expensive, but it's not the case at all. It's actually not that crazy to have like a custom sized magnet. So that will be fun. You get it like magnets are us or something. There's just there's yeah, yeah, there, yeah no. I just, I'm, what is it? There's like one online magnet place. It's called like oh KJ gosh. or something. Yeah, it's like KJ magnets or something. They're yeah, like K KJ magnetics. Yeah, magnetics. Yeah, that that is like the place to buy <laughs> magnets. So I don't know why. Like, I mean, I mean, I know why. Why would I have ever thought about this? But it, it, it's just so funny to me that I just never really considered magnet making. <laughs> but like of course yeah. that happens but yeah. it kind of just feels like oh you just get a magnet out of the ground <laughs> well, <laughs> and you just put it in Very that's weird. that's one of my favorite kind of side effects of having studio need and like starting this company and being a person that now like manufactures physical objects is i feel like it's made me just much more attuned i guess to the physical world in the sense that like, Oh yeah, someone made this, like this didn't just get mined out of the earth and an mm -hmm. already manufactured form. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's just, it's kind of nice. I think, I feel like it's kind of piqued my curiosity about things in a nice way, or just like you kind of are always thinking about how things are constructed. And it's, it's kind of just a fun way to look at the world, I guess. I think I'm in the stage at the moment, kind of in my pathway of, of, making things where I am not able to conceive of how people make things as fast as they do. Like that's kind oh, of I where still I can't am. conceive. It gets worse. The more I learn about how things are made, the more I do not understand how, well, really how cheap they are. Like I still do not understand how cars are as inexpensive as they are. Like in my mind, it's like, wow, this car has thousands of parts in it. How could and it only cost that much money? thousands of people that made it, <laughs> yeah. right? Like went like, into making it. Like how is it this price? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense to me. Like it's, I mean, I, I, I do rashly understand how that is with scale, and but still it's just like, whoa, like how, how? It's Car, cars are a loss leader for the car mats that they upsell you. It's <laughs> all mats and tires. It pays they for the entire thing. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it I really think that's is true. Astounding. I think that's true for dealerships, but I do not think that's true for car manufacturers. I think their margins are like pretty better than you'd think, like better than like mm -hmm. a TV. Mm -hmm. Like I think um, about consumer electronics, right? And how major consumer electronics, there's a new one every year and it's always mm -hmm. different in some way. And I just can't conceive of how you can have the ideas work out how to make it, produce it, and ship it like on this yearly schedule. Now, I know they're not starting from a blank slate every September, right? Like there, there are like, say like iPhones, right? There are multiple iPhones in production at one time and they're just working out what features are good. But like the line has to be drawn somewhere. Like I saw a great video. Um, you guys know OnePlus? Mm, no. They're an Android phone maker. They're one of like the cool ones now. They used to be oh. quite budget <laughs> and now they're like moving up in the world. But mm -hmm. I think you will like this actually. The CEO of OnePlus did an interview with uh, Marquez Brownlee, MKBHD, mm -hmm. about their kind of 
product design um, uh, philosophy and how they manufacture and like the decisions that they make. Like this part costs this amount of money, this part costs this amount of money and what do they choose and what do they leave off? Mm-hmm. And, you know, like Marquez kind of asked um, the CEO, I, I actually don't remember the guy's name right now, but the, they asked the CEO, like, you know, like what do you, how do you like at what point do you kind of lock down design before manufacture and he kind of says like about a six month time frame mm-hmm. and that just seems bananas to me that like <laughs> these phones like these millions of phones this is like six months only six months and then they're all made and produced and shipped it just seems like nowhere near enough time it's wild mm-hmm. like th- th- this once it gets to these kinds of scales it seems infinitely more complicated but yet things are done infinitely faster yeah it's kind of like once you're at there's only one choice it's like once you're at that scale you have to be so the game is efficiency right you you have to be so efficient so the and we've mentioned this before like the product design is there's like yeah there's like the product design that you would think of as product design like let me the case and the components and all that stuff but then there's an entire other team of people where their product design is like literally how it's manufactured right and and so that's the thing i think that you forget is there's a whole teams of experts where the only thing they're thinking about is like how do we manufacture this at scale right and um and we don't ever touch that because we never have scales that are like that at all. And so we don't ever have that as a big design problem, really. Um, but, you know, if you're Apple or you know any of these large OEM, you know, like electronics makers, like, yeah, like that's your whole jam. Uh, but often I think it's probably the factory that's doing that, right? Like if you're Foxconn, uh, if you're working with Apple, that might be a little bit different. But if you're working with a smaller scale thing than Apple, like Foxconn, that's their job, right, to to do that to scale manufacturer and design that process and all that stuff. So, you know, if you have a thousand people assembling phones and they do, you know, a couple hundred a day, that's a couple hundred thousand phones a day. (laughs) And that's what happens, you know? So it's crazy. Are you guys expecting a weird production cycle this time? Uh, no. Um, because, uh, no, I, there might be some delays, you know, with shipping and stuff. I don't but even I necessarily think, think delays, but just I would assume that there is a little bit more potential for unexpected things to happen. Yeah, it could be. Uh, I mean, luckily, you know, with this pin, we basically have one supplier for the, for the pin parts themselves. Uh-huh. And so as long as that supplier can, like, get the raw materials and then have, you know, the labor to do it. It's pretty, there's not a lot of variables, right? Um, And so that's nice. uh, And hopefully that, you know, works out pretty well. And and the materials we're using for the pen are not like weird or rare. Um, And so, you know, I wouldn't expect that it'd be hard to find like, you know, the steel that we're using and stuff. So there might be, there might be problems like at the end, towards the end with like, you know, coatings or, you know, packaging or something that are unexpected. But if we get to the point where the manufacturer has like ordered the raw materials, then I would expect it to be somewhat smooth sailing in terms of like supply chain stuff. But, I mean, you know, obviously who knows, but, um, 
But I don't know, I'm not so concerned. I, it, also because we're we're coming from the place of like having chosen already and work with this manufacturer like several times. And right. so, you know, you, often when we are doing a Kickstarter, like we have an idea of like what manufacturer or we have some quotes, but we haven't like decided who to go with exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're usually, you know, that usually takes like a month or two. But now we're kind of way more ready to go. Uh, so that also helps. One weird thing about the Mark II is I think we will be one of the few uh, sources for the refills of the pin um, because it is such a unique refill um, if, you're, if people are using the Schmidt one. So that will be kind of interesting uh, to kind of be, you know, more present in the ink, <laughs> in the ink refill. <laughs> Because it's not because uh, it's so infrequently used right now, right? Yeah, I mean there yeah. are you can get them in the U.S., but they're kind of expensive and they're they're harder to find. Um, and so, yeah, I, I mean, you know, I, I'm sure by the time we have this like up on like a product website and stuff, if you search for that refill, we will probably be one of the top things in Google that pops up like for sure. Um, so that will be that is like a little bit different. We don't know how to like. We don't know how to plan for the, those numbers, you know what I mean, uh, down the road. But, I mean, it won't be difficult, uh, but it's just it's kind of interesting. Oh, I see. I see. Because currently, if somebody needs a refill for a Mark One, they have lots they of places go to Amazon that they or can wherever. get yeah, the refill from. But if people yeah. want a refill for the Mark Two, they may actually have... The, really pretty much like the only choices to buy from you because not an the individual, only but it'll probably be the best it'll probably be the best choice right but like it, an individual will have less options right because yes, mm-hmm. you know yeah, like sure. you could buy a large amount from somewhere but if you want to buy two of them there might not be that many places that will sell you that but yeah. but you will so that's gonna that mm-hmm. might be interesting yeah because it yeah. might be that like if um you know this is the way if this if the mark two uh, is liked by people and they like the refill, there might be new projects that spin up that are focused mm. around that refill. Same way as what mm. happened with the refill that you used with the Mark 1. People slowly found the Retro 51 and they were like, this is a great refill. I want to make a better mm. pen or I want to mm-hmm. make a pen more to my tastes. So lots yeah. of people kind of followed in that. And you may do a similar thing here with the Mark 2 uh, of like you can have a pocket pen that doesn't uh, mean that you have a worse writing experience. Yeah. And so it may end up being that you see more campaigns pop up, which then may also drive more kind of traffic towards you as like a weird subsidiary thing, like like a, like a, a, an additional thing of like being a, a provider of a refill, which is not, you know, like a third party provider or something, which is Yeah, like a distributor or whatever. Yeah. yeah. No, it, it's interesting. Uh, I mean, I don't see us really getting deep into the <laughs> refill. We kind of just have them for, you No, but you, know, you, you need to be much more aware of this one than you yeah, did for the Mark exactly. 1. Exactly. Yeah, I had a real panicky moment, uh, like three days into our campaign, when I was like, wait a second, because everyone was kind of commenting like, Oh, I've like never heard. I had no idea this refill existed. Like this is neat. And and then I had this moment of like, what if Schmidt just like stopped making this because it's so unpopular? <laughs> like no, nobody is using it in pens, so they're like, ah, I guess we don't need to make this anymore. <laughs> so I was like, oh there God, is more I hope of a risk that doesn't then. happen. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. So I, we, you know, we reached out to him. We're like, hey, we want, we still want this. Like, can we get a quote and stuff? And it was like, no problem. Like, for it's all indications, it's going to be fine. It seems like it's pretty new. Um, 
and and you know this is we mentioned this i mentioned this when you first said it to me like i'd never heard of it i'd never heard anyone mention it and everyone i've said said hey did you know this exists nobody knew it existed yeah um, i don't know why but it might just be that they're just schmidt make it it's a product in their lineup but not a lot of people have taken advantage of it yet. They- you know, we met with one of their like, uh, like kind of the, like the global sales rep because they happen to be in Austin uh, or in Texas, and uh, they have a lot of really cool stuff that you would never guess. I think it's just partially like you know they focus on European market. I think a lot, and you know, I, I, there's lots of like little cool things that even I had even like looked at their catalog and I was like, oh, I didn't know you guys did that. So, yeah, they're they're an interesting company. They're pretty small. Um, and they like do everything in house, and they're they're cool. Uh, I'm glad they exist. It's like funny they make like parts for pins and then presses, like industrial presses. <laughs> it's like it's a very odd combination. Of I things, find but, uh, the pen the pen industry has a lot of these. It's like recently uh, Sailor pens. You're familiar with Sailor, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They yeah. also have a robotics division. <laughs> That's the two things that this company does. They make pens and robots. <laughs> They're Japanese. That's a Japanese company, right? Yeah, I mean, it, like, it's a yeah. funny thing, but they 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 initially started their robotics create the division for pen creation, but now it's it does uh, other stuff. Like, it does yeah. other stuff now. Mm-hmm. Um, they were using it to make refills. They have like a proprietary refill they've been uh, creating, and they they created their own robot to make the refill. But now mm-hmm. Sailor has a profitable robotics division. Yeah. So, and companies <laughs> find cool. themselves in these weird little buckets, I think. Yeah. yeah, It's cool. I mean, I think it's great. Look at you. Like, you're a pen company. You also make some weird cocktail stuff on the side. Yeah, yeah no, it's very weird. <laughs> and the occasional iPhone talk. What a peculiar, yeah. Yeah. A peculiar <laughs> company weird. you are. Yeah, it's very weird. It's always, when I, mean, I find myself like explaining if someone asks like what I do, it's like, well. Because <laughs> I guess that is it now though, right? You're like a stationary company with some tech stuff on the side. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that the pen and paper has yet, it's probably, I guess it's probably 50% of our revenue for sure, but it's not like it's 90% of our revenue or something. So we're still pretty balanced across like the stuff we make. Right. But as we continue down this road of like pins and stationary stuff for a while, we probably will. Um, then yeah, I will probably you know get more so, but then I'm sure we'll move on. You know, like I mean, I, we're not going to keep making pins for ten years, probably. You know, we'll we'll solve the problems we want to solve, and then we'll move on, probably. But we'll see. Who knows? Never ending. Robots. 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 <laughs> yeah, you oh, tried that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Already. Ah, that cuts deep. <laughs> <laughs> Thoroughly Considered is a joint production between Relay FM and Studio Neat. You can find out more about this episode by going to relay.fm slash tc slash 61.